As much as I would like to make fun of him for it, Bryce is actually not wearing lipstick in that video. We've been having some technical difficulties with our projector. We're working on trying to get it fixed, but we had a bulb that went out last week, and that's why we got that nice purple hue going on with all of it. Now, he could have been wearing lipstick too, I don't know, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. So, Stivey kicked us off last week in what we're calling F260 2.0, and for some of you, this is the second time around reading this reading plan, and you're familiar with it, and you know what's going on. For some of you, it's your first go at it, and I would just encourage you, plug in. It's a very simple reading plan. 260 stands for 260 days throughout the year that we're reading Scripture. It's five days a week, so you get two days off where you can either catch up or just have a little bit of break. So it kind of fits your busy schedule, and five days a week there's reading. It's only a couple of chapters a day. keeps it really easy. Um, you should have gotten an email plan, emailed, an email plan, a reading plan emailed out to you this past week. And if you did not get that or you want a paper copy, you can go to Next Steps, and they can give you a paper copy and kind of walk you through and answer any questions you might have. So whether this is your first time reading through the Bible like this with a plan or whether you've done this exact plan with us before, I can assure you God has something new and refreshing that he wants to share with you. And that's the beauty of God's word. Every time we dig into it, we find new and refreshing things. His word is living and breathing and active. It never returns void. We can read the same passage a hundred times, and often it's that hundred and first time that you read through something and you go, wow, I never saw that before. It's just something brand new to you. God opens your eyes. So I would encourage you, read with an open heart and read with anticipation that God is going to speak to your heart as we walk through his word. So this past week, we were in week one. You should have read Genesis 1 through 4, Genesis 6 through 9, and then Job 1 and 2. And since you guys often refer to me as the challenge pastor, I'm going to do my best to live up to that this morning. But I've got to say this. I'm going to go against everything in me because this challenge I'm going to put before you, I'm going to allow you to be anonymous. And that just kind of grates me because I'm, I'm like direct in your face kind of thing. I want to challenge you and I want to see how you're going to respond, but I'm going to allow you to be anonymous, but I am going to at least push you in this. Be 100% honest. No little white lies, no stretching the truth just a little bit. Be 100% honest, and I'm going to ask you to actually respond. Even if you don't like your response, even if it's negative, respond because we want to be able to see it. So here's how I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to do something that probably very few pastors have ever asked you to do. I want you to take out your phone. Everybody take out your phone and show it to me. Now, first things first, make sure it's on silent because we don't want to distract the people beside you when it's going off, namely me, because I can be distracted by anything. Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to throw up a slide here to give you some information, hopefully. Here we go. So I want you to text, so open your text app. The phone number you're texting is 22333. I mean, how much more simple can you get? That's the contact of the phone number. And then you're gonna text the word TBA Church 444 to that. Now, if you're over the age of 50, or you still have a dumb phone, or you don't know how to text, we have lots of teenagers right up here who would be glad to help you walk through it. So feel free to bring them your phone. Joker, if you need help, your wife will help you there. She can get you set up. You're texting TBA Church 444. This is not case sensitive. It doesn't matter whether it's capital or not. Just text those words. It's not going to charge you anything. It's a regular text. What it's going to do is connect you to a poll that we're going to walk through. You should get a little thing back, a message back that says that you're connected to TBA Church's session on polleverywhere.com. You don't need to follow a link. You don't need to go to the website. Just keep the text open. 
Once you're there, once you're connected, hold your phone up so I know you're there. All right, most of you. I'm impressed. You're doing pretty good. I heard it took the youth longer than that to get to it, so we're doing all right as adults. All right, so we're going to start with an easy question, and I want you to remember this is anonymous, so even your neighbor does not know how you're responding unless you choose to show them your phone. But the results are going to end up showing on the screen. So I'm going to put a statement on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to respond whether that statement is true or false for you. If you're marking true, you're going to text the letter A. If you're marking false, you're going to text the letter B, and it's going to show you on the screen, true with an A, false with a B. Should be really easy. That's all you have to text, one letter. So you click A or click B, hit send, and we're going to see the results. So Caleb, can you throw that on the screen for me, that first statement? All right, I read all five days of F260 week one this past week. Start responding. Text either A for true or B for false. And be honest. Nobody knows what you're responding except you and God. A for true, B for false. Well, at least we've got a lot of honest people, I see. That's good. I'm just glad to see this is working, because normally when we introduce new technology, something goes wrong, so. <laughs> all right, so 61% of you did not read all five days, 39% of you did, so that's good, and, and again, we're being honest, this is good. I'm gonna ask you to stick with that. We're gonna stay with the true or false to make it really easy. I'm gonna give you a few more statements that I wanna walk through, and these are a little more about today, where we're going, gonna help you to have a little bit of introspect. Same thing, be very honest, respond quickly, what comes to mind first, true or false? So you want to go ahead and throw that next one up for me, Caleb? God has first place in my life. I give him glory in everything I do. Listen to the words. Respond truthfully. True or false? God has first place in my life, and I give him glory in everything I do. Man, when you watch the true bar, it almost looks like people are trying to decide if it's true or not. <laughs> Interesting, same results. God has first place in my life, I give him glory in everything I do. 69% say false, 31% say true. Let's go to the next statement. I believe that God made this beautiful world around me specifically for my enjoyment. You see that is true or is false? And this might be a trick question, just saying. I believe that God made this beautiful world around me specifically for my enjoyment. A is true, B is false. And you better enjoy this while it lasts because we don't let you use your phones real often even though some of you are perusing Facebook and having to miss out right now. All right, if we get back to 6931 again, I'm just gonna say that somebody's rigging this. Do you only know how to text A or B? 
All right. Well, we've got a pattern at least. Okay, let's go to the next statement. Next statement. At work or at school, whichever is the case, I believe God is my true authority and everything I do is aimed to please him. <laughs> Be honest, Jack, come on. At work or at school, I believe God is my true authority and everything I do is aimed to please him. Finally, some different results. Maybe. <laughs> I think what that means is the false responses finally woke up and started responding. Are we going to settle? Finally, different results. 52% say false, 48% say true. Very cool. Maybe. All right, let's go to the last one. Statement number four here, at home, the way I speak to and interact with my family brings God glory. At home, the way I speak to and interact with my family brings God glory. Uh-oh. <laughs> this one might get real. But we can say this, TBA is an honest community at least. At home, the way I speak to and interact with my family brings God glory. All right, 73% false, 27% true. Again, at least we're being honest and we see kind of where we sit. And here's the beauty of what you see, we are a broken people. We're a broken community, broken people. We don't always get it right. And this kind of reflects that. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate you doing that for me. That's, this whole poll thing is a little bit complicated in the booth. They've got to jump through several hoops to make that happen. So, so I know last week, as Stivey was speaking, he talked about, and I, I kind of laughed at this. I know some people were a little bit grossed out, but he was talking about how in comparison to God's word, maybe you remember this, that when we listen to other sermons or when we read devotionals or do those kinds of things, that it's like secondhand food. And you're like, ugh, that's kind of disgusting. But it's true. It really is. It's secondhand food. The Bible needs to be our primary source of spiritual food, always. But I'm going to read to you anyway from a devotional that Dave shared this past week with our staff. And it was hugely impactful in my thinking, and I think you'll see how it points us back to Scripture as well. So I want you to listen to these words and just ponder with me for a moment. Here's the bottom line. The Christian life, the church, our faith, are not about us. They're about him, his plan, his kingdom, his glory. It really is the struggle of struggles. It's counterintuitive for us all. It's the thing that makes our lives messy and our relationships conflictual. It's what sidetracks our thoughts and kidnaps our desires. It's the thing below all the other things that you could point to that argues for our need for grace. It's the one battle that one never escapes. It's the one place where 10 out of 10 of us need rescue. It's the fight that God wages on our behalf to help us to remember that life is simply not about us. It's about God, his plan, his kingdom, and his glory. This is precisely why the first four words of the Bible may be its most important words, 
in the beginning, God. These are four thunderously important words. They really do change everything, from the way that you think about your identity, meaning, and purpose, to the way that you approach even the most incidental of human duties. Everything that was created was made by God and for God. All the glories of the created world were designed to point to his glory. The universe is his, designed to function according to his purpose and his plan. That includes you and me. We were not made to live independent, self-directed lives. We were not meant to exist according to our own little self-oriented plans, living for our own moments of glory. No, we were created to live for him. Where is this Godward living meant to find expression? It's meant to be expressed not just in the religious dimension of our lives, but in every aspect of our existence. I love how Paul captures this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When Paul thinks of the call to live for the glory of God, he doesn't think, first think of the big life-changing self-consciously spiritual moments of life. No, he thinks of something as mundane and repetitive as eating and drinking. Even the most regular, seemingly unimportant tasks of my life must be shaped and directed by a heartfelt desire for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but in the busyness of life, I lose sight of God's existence, let alone his glory. These are words from a book called New Morning Mercies. It's a devotional book by Paul David Tripp. And I want you to go back to that first phrase, which is the heading over this devotional, where he says this, here's the bottom line. The Christian life, the church, our faith are not about us, they're about him. His plan, his kingdom, his glory. Everything is about God. All of creation is designed to point us back to God. All of creation is designed to give glory to God. It's not about you and me, it's about him. And when we miss that, we miss everything. When we don't see the world around us through that lens, our perspective is skewed. Think back to how you answered those true or false questions just a moment ago. And I really do appreciate the honesty you had, but what I wonder is would this perspective, if you were looking at it with this lens, would that change your answer to any of those questions? For example, I might say that God has first place in my life, that he really is the most important, but I can't think about the last time that I gave God glory in my eating or drinking. Can you? Or the next statement about God creating the beautiful world for my enjoyment. It's true, but it's only partially true. He did make this world for my enjoyment, but before man even existed, he created the world so that it would bring glory to him. The beauty that I enjoy in nature should always point me back to my fathomless creator, not just the enjoyment of nature itself. Most of the time when I'm at work, if I'm just being honest, I probably think more throughout the day about, well, how will Brian and Dave respond to this? Or how will the rest of our staff see me for doing this kind of thing? Or how will people in the church think about me or view me as a pastor for the way I'm working or what I'm doing? I spend a lot more time thinking about that than I do thinking about would God be pleased in what I'm doing right now and the way I handle myself and the way I'm interacting with people. And those things can be important. How other people see us, that is important. It's real life accountability. It helps us to walk in that. But my primary focus should be on whether I'm working in such a way that brings honor and glory to God, not anybody else. Am I a shining example of his love and his character to everyone around me that I interact with? Did I put in the same effort I would have? And this applies for me as a pastor or you in whatever job you're in. Did I put in the same effort 
and do the work the same way that I would have done if Jesus Christ were my physical boss and he was the one checking up on my work. Think about that. And then that last one, that last question, man, that's just kind of stepping on toes. Do I bring God glory in the way I speak to my wife? Or what about in the way I discipline my kids? Or just even the little decisions that I make for my family? Am I bringing God honor and glory in doing those things? Now maybe I'm the only one that struggles with any of this, but when I think about it, I think most people probably would see me from the outside as being someone who has a servant's heart, who cares about people, who does things for others, who truly cares. But the simple truth is, I'm still way more focused on me than I am on God. Maybe you can relate. I'm more concerned with whether something is good for me, whether or not it will bring happiness in my life, than I am with whether God will receive glory for me doing that thing. Go back to that verse from 1 Corinthians that we just quoted from, the, from that devotional. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that verse is sandwiched in this passage where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth specifically about eating food that comes from idols. And, and he's giving context here of, of walking down through some things they should be doing in their actions as Christians. And he says, even if you are not affected, even if you're not convicted of what you're doing, if you think it's okay to eat this food, okay, but don't offend your brother by doing so. If your brother is offended by what you're doing, don't do it. And the truth is, if you boil it down to this, that one verse really summarizes the entire teaching. God's glory should come first, no matter what. If we keep that perspective, everything else will fall in line. Think about how your decisions would change if every single decision you made was made under the context of what will bring God glory. What will bring glory to God's name in my actions? But stop and think specifically about what Paul's saying here. Let's be really practical for a minute. Something as simple as eating and drinking. Bring glory to God in that. How do you do that? How do you bring glory to God in something as simple as eating or drinking? Have you ever stopped to think about the miracle it is that we have the food that we have and enjoy the food we have. I mean, you can take this in all kinds of different levels, from the creative genius that he has given to man to be able to think and reason and create and invent, and all the modern cooking equipment that we have that cooks our food and makes it taste a certain way, or even step back further to think about the meat that we eat comes from an animal that God created. I know a lot of you are like my wife, and you only get meat that comes on a styrofoam tray from Publix, and you don't realize it actually came from an animal, but it did. And God created that animal, and he gave us dominion over that animal to be able to take that life and use that meat for our nourishment. Think about that. Think about the plants, the vegetables, and the fruits that we eat. God has created these. These are living organisms that reproduce, that have seeds, that he has put life into them. They grow, and they develop, and they're provided for our nourishment. Everything about that whole process is miraculous if you stop and really think about it. But when do we think about things like that when we're eating and drinking? I mean, if I'm being honest, when I sit down in front of a big steak or a big burger, I'm not thinking about how am I going to bring glory to God in this. I'm thinking, wow, I'm in for this. Right? You look at a meal like that and you're excited about it. You're excited about the happiness that's going to come when your taste buds experience that. But Paul's saying we need to bring glory to God even in those simple 
mundane things. And see, I think that translates to the way that we live most, if not every part of our lives. It's all about us. We're independent. We're self-directed. We're self-satisfying. Self-focused. Or, if we want to just be honest about it, we're selfish. We're selfish. We make our own plans, and we ask God to bless them instead of seeking his plan for our lives. We count our money and we ask God to give us more instead of asking what he wants us to do with the resources that he's loaned to us. We go to work or we volunteer in the community so that we can earn a good reputation and make a name for ourselves instead of asking, God, how can I make a name for you? How can I bring glory to your name in the things that I'm doing and the work that I'm doing and the ways that I'm volunteering and the role that I have in the community? We blame God when tragedy strikes or when things don't go our way rather than praising him because he's good no matter what. This past week, you read Job 1 and 2, hopefully. That was our last day's reading. And I want you to listen to how God himself describes Job in verse 8 of chapter 1. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Wow. He's blameless. A man of complete integrity. That's a pretty impressive resume. And this is God describing Job. But if you remember the story, Satan retorts to, to God in that moment that Job is that way because he has it easy. God, you've blessed him. You've poured out blessings all over him. He's the richest man in the community. He has all these things going for him. Everything's easy. So of course he would praise you. But you take that away and he'll curse you. And so in that first chapter, we read how God gives Satan permission to go and torment Job and to test him. And we see how Satan essentially steals all of Job's livestock. He kills all of his servants, minus the few that come to give him the message. He even kills his children. And just, it's like bam, 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 bam. There's these four messages that show up to Job all at once. This has all happened at the same time. He has had everything stripped away from him in just a few moments. And look at how Job responds Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Job has just lost everything except for his wife, his own home, and his own life. And this is his response. He tears his robe. Pretty normal human kind of response. This is grief, especially in that day. That was a sign of deep personal grief. He's grieving. He's hurting. He's in anguish personally. Wouldn't you be? Not only has he lost all of his assets or the empire, if you want to call it, that he has built, the things that make him known in the community, he just lost his children. I can't think of any deeper grief that he could be experiencing. And he stands up and he tears his robe in anguish over that. And it's a sign of that personal hurt. And then the next thing he does is he shaves his head. And while we don't think a lot about that in our society, because some of us, at least, as I look around the room, know how to cut our hair well. But in Job's day, this was big. It was a big, big deal because him shaving his head was a sign of him removing any glory that he had in humbling himself. It was a picture of how his pride had been ripped away. He had been humbled by the things that had happened. His glory was removed. 
he had no glory. And you gotta think, Job is a guy who's a respected elder in his community. He's one of the guys that are sitting at the gates, giving advice, judging cases, helping others get along because he is so well-respected and well-known. He's a leader. And he rips his robe and he shaves his head and he goes, no more. I have no position, no authority, no place. He's been humbled. He's broken. Both understandable human responses. But see, it's that last response that stops me in my tracks. It says that he fell to the ground, not in agony or despair, but in worship. In worship. His first thought wasn't about revenge. He wasn't concerned with a a plan to rebuild his assets or put things back together or get his money and his stuff back. He didn't even give up all hope and fall into some kind of dark depression or, or despair. He bowed humbly before God and he worshiped. And his next words sum it all up. I would say it like this, I had nothing when I was born and I'll have nothing when I die. God gave and God took away. No matter what, I will praise God. What Job is saying here is this, God, whether you shower me with physical blessings and reputation or whether you strip me naked and leave me humbled and broken before the world, you are still God, you are still good, I will praise you and you only. I think about that, and my only response is, God, forgive me. I make life about me instead of about you. I live for me instead of for you. I worry about what others think of me more than I worry about what they think of you. I seek my own way rather than seeking your way. I seek my own glory rather than seeking your glory. God, you are good. No matter what, no matter the circumstances, no matter what life throws our way, you are good. Some of you probably remember right before Christmas when I spoke to you, I shared about some of the chaos our family was walking through at that time, and we still have a little bit going on, but it's a whole lot better than it was. But just to sum it up really quickly, we had a flood from a plumbing issue right after Thanksgiving, which led to discovery of a roof leak in the house, which led to a fairly extensive remodel of about two-thirds of our home. And we'll just say that our Christmas looked a little different this year as we walked through some of that. But to avoid spending any kind of, or any more out-of-pocket money than we had to, I took on most of the work myself with the help of some friends and our family, kind of gathered around. We worked 12 and 14 hour days all across the Christmas and New Year's break. We installed new flooring, we rebuilt a bathroom, uh, made temporary repairs of the roof. The list just goes on and on and on. And quite honestly, there have been days as we walked through that that it's been easy to get discouraged. There have been days where we wondered, why does it have to be this way? Where we worried about where are the funds gonna come from to cover all this? Are we worried about how are we gonna get it all done in the time frame necessary? Or worried about how long is my jacked up back gonna make it through this project? Are we gonna survive? But while we were doing the work, we had to sleep somewhere else for a few days. We had to move all of our bedrooms out of our house. Let me just tell you, the movers that moved our stuff out, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but they packed three bedrooms in an eight by 16 by eight pod. I don't know how they did it. It was like Tetris on drugs. I mean, it was crazy, but they made it work. So we moved all of our bedrooms out of the house. We had to sleep other places. My girls were sleeping at Sam and Krista's house, my sister and brother-in-law. Sherry and I stayed at my parents' house during those few days. 
And so to drive back and forth to my parents' house is about 15, maybe 20 minutes to get there, depending on traffic, where we're going. And so each morning and each evening as I'm driving back and forth to the house to work, one of the things I like to do when I have time in the car is listen to audiobooks. And so I pull up Audible, and I've just gotten a book from Max Licato. Um, it's called Before Amen, and it's a book about prayer. And so I was listening to that each direction as I go. And one of the things that he introduces is something that he calls a pocket prayer. And I've learned since then he has a bunch of these. In fact, he's got a book on pocket prayers that you can pull out, and he's got a lot of different things. But this one is very specific about the Lord's Prayer. And it's a very simplified version of the Lord's Prayer that we read in Scripture. It goes like this. Father, which the word there is Abba, which means Daddy. So this is a very personal term. Daddy, you are good. I need help. Heal me and forgive me. They need help. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot tied into that prayer. We could do a whole message on that, and I won't go there today. But here's why I use that today. That first phrase changed everything for me. Daddy, you are good. Just stop right there. You are good. That's what got me through the last few weeks. God, you are good. No matter my circumstances, no matter whether I'm feeling blessed or maybe even feeling abandoned, you are good. It's not about me. It's about you and your plan and your glory. I just need to trust. See, I needed that reminder each day. And with that reminder, with choosing each day to believe that, to believe, God, you are good, both in encouraging moments and in struggle, it allows me to give thanks to give thanks no matter what I'm walking through. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your provision through insurance, through unexpected gifts that came during that break. Thank you for the opportunity to improve our house by making repairs. Thank you that you've blessed me with the skills to be able to do the necessary work. Thank you for extended family and friends that are willing to sacrifice time and invest in my family. Thank you for allowing my family to draw closer together during that Christmas season because of all we were walking through. It's amazing. When you get around your dinner table every single day because you have no living room to sit in, it brings the family together. It was a great thing. None of this was my plan. It definitely wasn't my timing, but I can see how God's bringing good out of it just the same. And it allowed me to give thanks. And see, I think Job very clearly understood that God was good no matter what. You see that in his reaction. In prosperity and blessing, he gave thanks, and he gave praise to God. In fact, he even took time, if you read that this week in chapter one, it says that he would get up and he would make a sacrifice for atonement for his children just in case they sinned because they were having these parties and doing things, and he goes, I don't think they cursed God or did anything wrong, but I'm gonna pray for them anyway. He was giving thanks to God in every situation. In grief, and loss, and struggle, it says he bowed down and he worshiped. He gave praise to God and thanks to him even then. It wasn't about Job. It was about God. There's one last thing I want to show you from this past week's reading, and it, this was something that really spoke to my heart, and I hope it will yours too. But go back to those four important words that we talked about from the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And then the very next word is created. From Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've read that over and over and over and over. But as I was doing some studying this week, the Hebrew word for that word created is the word bara, bara. And it most often refers to creation of something from nothing. Makes sense. But it always, every time it's used, it stresses that whatever is created is new and perfect. 
new and perfect. This isn't a picture of remodeling a house like what we're doing. This is a picture of getting rid of the old house and putting a new house in place, bulldozing it and starting over. It's not fixing up. It's creating something brand new from nothing. The other unique thing about this word is it always refers to God as the creator. It's never used in any other context. God is always the subject when this word is used. There's a picture of creation that cannot be separated from God. It's his creation. But here's what's really interesting. You read through that and you go, that makes sense. Creation story, I get it. God created the the heavens and the earth. He created the world from nothing. Okay, I'm in with all that. But that same word that you see in the beginning of Genesis, you also see in other places throughout the Old Testament where it's referencing salvation and what we would refer to as our new life in Christ. Like Psalm 5110, for example. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. It's the same word. The word create in this verse is the same Hebrew, Hebrew word, bara. It's a picture of God creating something brand new in us. We're born with sinful hearts, hearts that are in bondage to the world around us, but when we invite Christ into our lives, he literally creates brand new, a new heart in us, a clean heart. We're a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that God remodels our life or cleans up the old one. He says our old life is gone and a new life has begun. We're a new person. ESV phrases it that we are a new creation. And I think NIV says the same thing. Good wording there, good translation. When we come to Christ, we're created anew, just like God created the heavens and the earth for the very first time, brand new out of nothing. Not just a clean slate, a new slate. We literally get a do-over. And here's the part that we have to hold on to. Remember that word, bara, always refers back to God. God is the creator. This is something that you and I can't do. We can't do in our own strength. We have nothing to do with it. It's out of our control, out of our power. It's all about God's work in our lives. It's about him creating a new and a clean heart in us, not about us being able to do anything about the condition of our heart. Only God can make us new. The question is, what will we do with that new life? When God puts that new heart in us, that clean heart, what will we do with it? Will we truly put God at the center of it and make everything about him and his glory? Or will we continue to walk in selfishness? Will we see God as good and give him glory even when our circumstances seem to be up against us? Band, you guys come on up. As we walk this journey together, this F260 reading plan, and, and I just I want to make sure that you guys understand the reading plan in and of itself is not the significant thing. It's not about the plan. It's not about what chapters we're reading each day. It's not about how much we're reading. It's about us as a church family being in God's word together. It's about the synergy that happens and the conversations that come and the natural organic relationships that are formed when we're reading the same things in God's word and it's coming alive for us and we're able to talk about that and discuss that and grow in that. But as we're walking this journey through God's word together in 2020, my challenge to you is to keep this perspective we've talked about today that it is not about me and it's not about you, but it's about God and his glory. Everything is about God and bringing him glory. In the beginning, God. That summarizes it so clearly. 
I hope those four words will stick with you, especially as you read through this reading plan throughout, no matter what you're reading, what stories you're reading, what craziness we get into in discussion, what things that maybe you're battling in your lives, just go back to those four words. In the beginning, God. It's not about me, it's about him. He has complete control over all of my circumstances. He has complete control over my thought process. I just have to surrender it to him. It's not about me, it's about him and his glory. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made that decision to surrender your life to Christ, we want you to do that. I want you to experience what that new heart is like. And I would just encourage you and even challenge you to go to Next Steps, talk with them back there, let them pray with you, let them talk with you, let them give you some resources to kind of help you on that journey to start that. We would love to do that. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've given your life to Christ, you've surrendered that, but you realize, especially as we talk, that, man, I don't give God glory in all areas of my life. I don't make him first. I'm still selfish. I still deal with those things. And you will. We will all fail. We will all have those things in our lives, absolutely. But is our focus on giving God glory and putting him first, or is our focus on me? Because if our focus is on me, we've got it backwards. And we need to change that. And that's the thing. We can't change it. Only God can change it. It's a picture of us surrendering that to him and allowing him to change our hearts. So I would encourage you, again, go to Next Steps. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you. Let us give you some next steps that you can take to be growing in that relationship and in that journey. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. As always, our altars are open. You can come and kneel here at the front of the stage if you'd like to pray on your own. But I just, I do want to push you. If if you're making a decision for Christ today or you're recommitting your heart and you know you need some next steps in your life to be able to grow in that, you need some accountability, you need somebody to walk with you, don't just come and kneel here and pray on your own. That's good. I mean, it's good that you interact with God and talk to him and, and you need to do that, but don't just do that. Go to next steps. Let us talk with you. Let us pray with you. Let us help you take some of those steps in that journey. Let us give you some accountability to walk in. Let's pray and then you respond. God, thank you for just the power of your word. God, thank you for the way you revealed this week something new and fresh just out of some very simple words from the very first verse of your word. The beauty of your creation, not just the heavens and the earth, not just man, not just the animals and the plants and day and night and all those things that we see. That's amazing and that's beautiful, but God, it carries on beyond that. You're continually creating. You're redeeming. You're making new. And you offer that same creation power in our lives to create a new heart in us, to make us into a new creature. God, I pray that we would never forget that. Help us not to get caught up in our own stuff and our own desires and our own wants and our own plans, but God, help us to seek to give you glory and honor in everything we do. From the very simple, like eating and drinking, to the very complex of planning out our lives and our dreams. May you receive glory in all of it. God, help us now just to be able to have enough introspect to see areas where we're not giving you glory and then give us the courage to surrender those areas to you. May you be honored in all that happens today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.